Picking up our study here in Luke's Gospel, the 14th chapter, beginning in verse 25, and a study that I've entitled, True Discipleship. The invitation here is to be a disciple. And I want to make very, very clear, and we're going to spend some time this morning on this very vital subject, because I believe that a large part of the body of Christ frankly, has very little understanding of what it means to be a disciple. A lot of people, when they think of, well, yeah, I'm a disciple, they they think it means simply to be saved. And Jesus has already given the invitation. He's already offered salvation by grace and through faith. He's told them that they need to believe, looking forward to his sacrifice. Those things are true. Jesus is now going to call them into a much deeper relationship, into true discipleship. And it means much more than simply being one of his kids, though that certainly is the initial step. It's the first step. It is the baby step of being a believer by grace through faith that Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross. He offered up His life a ransom for your sin. He paid the price. He's given His all so that you don't have to give your life. So you do not pay for your own sin. He paid for it for you. You must take that initial step to say yes to Jesus Christ. Without that initial step, the rest of it is impossible. Because it's by faith that we then begin to grow. And mature. And so the focus here, and many people very often wrongly misinterpret the the Great Commission found there in Matthew 28. For in Matthew 28 it says, To go ye therefore into all of the world and make disciples of all nations. And they think that that means to simply go see to it that people become saved. That is not what is being said there. It is certainly essential, because people can't be disciples without first being saved. And to be saved initially makes you a disciple in so much language as you understand of God's Word, God's character, and the love that God's placed in your heart through Jesus Christ. But it only begins there. It's not supposed to end there. And very frequently, people are quite satisfied with nothing more than eternal fire insurance. Well, I'm not going to hell now. Which, by the way, is a really good thing. But that's not supposed to be the end of your relationship with Christ. You are supposed to then turn that corner away from the deeds of flesh doing what's right in your own eyes, and you're supposed to head towards Christ. You're supposed to become a disciple. And that is the focus this morning of these verses. And I pray that the Lord would speak to us as we now turn our attention to the words of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray and ask Him to speak to us. Father, we are so grateful For the power of your word, Lord, that divides between joint and marrow and soul and spirit. Lord, that is sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we're grateful that as we study your word, we can grow. 
in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And so we ask that you would speak now through your word, empower your people. Lord, cause us to know what is your good and your perfect will. Lord, bless us with understanding. Give us ears to hear now what your spirit would say to us as your church. We ask these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. By definition, and I think this is super important, we're going to see what a disciple is, but it says here in verse 25, and now the great multitudes went with him. Now remember, he has just pronounced a, a, a pretty stern warning on the church. He, he's been confronting all kinds of problems, and it's interesting to me that the multitudes get it, and the Pharisees don't. That the common people understand it, and the religious rulers of the day didn't have a clue. And it gives you an idea of the blindness that can occur when you're simply religious. And he says, and now the great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, so he's speaking very specifically, not to the disciples, who are already disciples of Christ, amen, but to those who are following him. And this is a very, very important distinction because they are not yet disciples. Maybe some of them are in that beginning stages of salvation, but they're not true followers of Christ yet. There are a lot of people that come to church and never become followers of Christ. They hear the words of Jesus and never begin to actually do what the Lord has said. They even play church. They act holy. They may even tithe. But they're not true disciples. And the way that you know them is by when it begins to cost them something. Because the moment it begins to cost them something, they turn and go the other way. The moment it brings an ounce of division in their family, the moment they actually have to live out that truth, the moment that they say, ah, well, I was okay until... That's how you can tell a true disciple from someone who may simply be saved. And so he says, if anyone, as he turns and speaks to this crowd, it's a multitude... If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife, his children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, before one of you does what many do and misinterpret this verse, I will give you just a short and very concise understanding of what Jesus is saying here. He's not talking about you hating, literally, your wife. He is not talking about you hating, literally, your children. He is not talking about you disrespecting every member of your family, and he surely isn't talking about you hating yourself. Because all of Scripture says exactly the opposite. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? So don't misinterpret this passage. He's making a singular point, and that point is nothing in your life can be more important than Jesus. Nothing. Him first, then others, then you. 
The acronym JOY. Jesus, others, yourself. Get it. That's all he's saying. We'll elaborate a little more in just a bit. And so he calls them to discipleship. And what does he say to them? You you see, when we understand the word, we begin to get a very clear picture of what he's getting at. Because he's calling them to move forward, to press on, as Paul said, towards that high calling that we have in Christ Jesus. It means you don't stay the way you were when you first got saved. How many of you have known somebody who's walked with the Lord that stayed an infantile Christian their entire life? I have. I have. I've met a lot of people, in fact, that never grow. They don't move forward at all in their relationship with the Lord. They get saved, and they're stuck right there at the cross. They never get to glory until they go to be in glory. They, they never get to holy living. They never get to kingdom things. They never get to service. They never go anywhere because they don't understand this one principle. Discipleship. It means to be a devotee or a follower. It means to be taught by someone else or under another person. It means to be a scholar. It means to be someone who models someone else. An apprentice. It means to be a pupil of a specific master. So in Star Wars speak, a Padawan learner of the Jedi Master Jesus. Amen? For those of you that are Star Wars freaks, you know, here's Yoda. Yes, I'm making the theoretical position that Jesus is like Yoda. Master of the Force, okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? You've got this little furry dude with the pointy ears. And I want you to understand this because a lot of people actually get that, but they don't get the fact that Jesus is supposed to be the Master. And you the pupil. It's that simple. Well, of course, you know, Luke followed the Jedi Master and he became a Jedi himself. We all get that. Why is it we have such a problem with understanding that the Supreme Master is Jesus Christ? And that I am to model him in such a way that I possess the Force. The Force is strong and that one is. It's supposed to be strong in you. You're not supposed to be walking, well, I'm saved. It bothers me when people say, well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Who wants to follow somebody who thinks like that? Well, I'm going to squeak into heaven one day. (laughs) You're supposed to blaze a path through this earth in this life that ends up in heaven. Not kind of sort of get there. Not be perfectly optimistic that one day you're actually going to get to heaven. You're supposed to know and grow. That's the way it works. A disciple. We need to be followers. We need to be that one under the tutelage of the Master Jesus. You need to be looking at every word he says, every deed he undertook, Everything he uttered in Scripture, every single piece of what the Bible tells you we're supposed to be is to be yours, not just mine. And I don't have a grip on all of it yet, 
But I want to. I want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. In an earthly sense, the examples we have were the disciples. They were the really holy ones. Amen? When you look at their lives, did they fail? Oh my goodness, yes. So there's lots of hope for us. And if you can't enjoy watching Peter go through his faux pas and then realize that God used him and said, upon this pointing to himself, this this rock, I will build my church. He says, Peter, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, against you as you go out in my power. You're going to be fine. I want to be a disciple. And so he begins to to let some things go here that we'll get to in a moment. Some things that are true. What does it look like? Honestly, family, we can quantify it. We can identify it. And I'm going to give you a passage of Scripture in just a moment. If you want to turn here, you can go to Colossians chapter 3 while we're, while we're setting the stage here. There are some things that are true about disciples. We believe his doctrine. That's one reason why when people tell me, well, you can do this and do that, when Scripture says that that's not how a Christian lives... It's false. When Scripture says that I am supposed to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh, that's the way I go. I believe His doctrine. I absolutely rest in His sacrifice. If Christ didn't die on Calvary's cross, we're all dead people walking yet still. Amen? Ephesians 2, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, He hath made alive. I'm resting in Christ. His sacrifice. If he didn't do it, I can't do it. It's not possible. So being a disciple, I believe what he says about my world. I believe what he says about what I should be. I believe what he says about what I should do. You see, it actually becomes quite simple to be a disciple at that level. I rest in what he did on Calvary's cross. I cannot save myself, for by grace I've been saved through faith. Amen? You can't save yourself. You see, I'm also filled with His Spirit, not my own. I now walk in the Spirit. Amen? I'm not doing the things that I used to do, not because I'm incapable, but because His Spirit is in me. It's what it means to be a disciple. So when someone comes and says, well, you know, I still think that I can do these things that I used to do, you have to question how deep is their discipleship? Where does it end? How far does it go? Because evidently it's not enough to conquer that particular sinful behavior in them. Is it a problem with the master? I do not believe so. It's a problem with the pupil, the student. We imitate his example. God, how important is it that we imitate Jesus? Be ye, Paul said, therefore imitators of Christ. Not Jeff, not Pastor Chuck, not Billy Graham, not D.L. Moody, not any of the greats of faith, not John Calvin, Martin Luther, or any other person. Be ye therefore imitators of Christ. Do what Jesus says to do. Live how Jesus says to live. That's what what it means to be a disciple. 
I imitate his example. And then finally, as you can see in these five things, it's pretty simple. Pass it on. Learn what it is that he does. Do it yourself. And then instruct other people in doing the same. Now do you know why the Great Commission is to go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples? Don't just present the gospel to them. That's great, by the way. It needs to happen. But then help them to live as the Master lived. So amazingly important. And if you've got your finger there in Colossians 3, I want to go through this quickly for the sake of time. You can go back and look at it later. I'm going to pull ten things out of these verses. And they're not the only ten. I will tell you that straight up. But you have a synopsis here of what it really means in a very practical way, laid out top to bottom. And it says there in verse 1 of Colossians 3, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the earth. For you died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. And therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Notice what it says. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And because of these things, exactly as Romans 1 says, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourself once walked. Not currently walks, once walked. Used to. You're a has-been. You're a lousy sinner now. That means you can't do it very well. Not that you're still lousy and a sinner, but you're not good at it. When you lived in these things. But you now also yourselves put off all these. Anger, wrath. Now, you get the picture? How do you be a disciple? You can use this one chapter, and you will never get done your entire life following Jesus. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, put it out of your mouth. Do not lie one to another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. You get the picture? Being a disciple is putting off the old. Kicking out who you used to be. Working on, working on the, the guy's house. And we took some, some vents out from underneath the crawl space. When you do that up here, by the way, it is an attraction to all cats in the neighborhood. Every last cat. And, I, and I, it, we took those vents off for one day. One lousy, wasn't even 24 hours. Came back the following day. There's already a cat living in there. I'm like, here, kitty, 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 kitty. Thought I was going to have to go get meat to get that thing. It was already set. It's, I got a house. It's the way the old man is. If you don't kick the old man out, the old man will come back. Put off the old man with his deeds. And then it says, and have put on the new man who's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And notice what it says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. It's all about being like Jesus. Therefore, as the elect of God, as selected by God, 
as God did His work and sent gracious understanding into your mind that you might know who Christ is and believe on His name and get saved, as that happens, you're putting on the, the holy, beloved character, put on tender mercies and kindness and human. Are any of those things normal for any of you? Not for me. I don't think of being meek and humble. That's a Jesus thing, amen? Think of that. Put those things on. It's not natural. The natural man is the old man. The new man is the character of Jesus. Put those things on. Long, anybody like to suffer long? If you do, you need help. Lots and lots and lots of help. Hours of counseling. We're, not, we're just kind of not into that, are we? Boy, I just hope I get to suffer long this week. But you're supposed to put it on. Bearing, anybody like to bear with other people? Just your natural response. Boy, I hope I get to suffer with that person while they're going through stuff. You see what I'm talking about? It take your whole life to work through this list. Okay, get get these things. For oh, he didn't have to say that. Forgiving one another. I'm going to share with you. We've got a dear brother coming in August. His name's Gil Mertz. He's actually with the Family Research Council, but he has an incredible book that he's written. Learn to forgive, and he's going to come and share with you guys. I don't think there's anything in a practical sense that keeps more people from experiencing God's blessing than clinging to unforgiveness. Forgive. Why? For if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must, would you please underline that word, underscore that word, highlight that word, must do. Forgiveness is not an elective in the body of Christ. It's an essential. You must. Discipleship, remember what we're talking about here. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Love glues all this stuff together. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, which into also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Putting off the old man, putting on the new, called into one body, and I'm thankful about it. Because I'm not the way I used to be. The key characteristic of a disciple is you're not like you used to be. It's one of the ways that you can know you're his kid. I'm not like I used to be. Because I know how I used to be. And I'm not like that anymore. And I'm not like that in here. Not that I can't think of it up here, but here. Heart. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. And notice verse 17. This is the WWJD verse. And whatever you do in word or in deed, amen? So whatever you say and whatever you do is the way to look at it. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Can you say that about your entire life? That every word and every deed you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let me help you understand this. The next time you go to scream and yell at somebody, can you say, I just, I just ripped that person in the name of Jesus. I just slapped that guy in the face in the name of Jesus. 
be healed. <laughs> you get the picture? It's very simple. Can you say, in Jesus' name, I say these words to you. In Jesus' name, I do these deeds before you. In Jesus' names, Jesus' name, I, I serve this way. You see, if you can't say it, you got room to grow in discipleship. You got room to grow. You got room to move forward towards Jesus. And so as you look at these things, there's ten things here. Living a heavenly life now. Get your eyes off the junk on the earth. They're simple. They're all found here in this passage. Anybody not like number three? Die to myself. I like me. I like pleasing me. Matter of fact, I think about me a lot. And I don't think about you as much as I should. I'm kind of me-centric. We call that amigo. It's like an ego, only a little different. Where me go, you go, we go. Kill the old man. Think about it for a second. You ever thought about acts? That's what the Bible says to do, by the way. Wives, do not shoot your husbands when you get home. You're supposed to kill the old man. Put to death, it says. Do not misinterpret what I said. I do not want to hear about the sheriff showing up at anybody's house. But in that sense, the old you, you're supposed to be actively looking to put to death. Do you get it? You're supposed to be actively looking to put to death the old man. That's what a disciple does. These are the things I used to be. I'm not supposed to be like that. And that dude comes back. I'm going to punch you. Put on and build up what and who you are in Christ. Think about it. How much different would the body of Christ look if we actually did these things? This is just ten things. There's over 90 things in this one little portion of this chapter. That If you actually put them together, you can pick out about 90 things. It goes on. Verse 14. Let love be the supreme guide in your life. Anybody else guided by stuff other than love at times? I am. I got, I got passed this morning on the shoulder by a Subaru Impreza doing about 100 miles an hour on the passing lane. And I'm like, are you, I'm, I'm after you. I'll never catch you because I'm driving my truck. But there's, um, you can't do that. Just, you almost, I know you guys never get motivated by something other than love, but I do. Yeah? To be a disciple is to be motivated by love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You know what it's saying there? Christ is your umpire. We're in baseball season, yeah? The umpire stands behind the plate. What does he do? Calls balls, strikes, and ultimately rules the field. Whoever's out, he declares out. So if Jesus says it's a ball, guess what? It's a ball. If it's a strike, it's a strike. Hit by a pitch, take first base. The peace of God does that. So when you don't have peace, you can be pretty well assured it's not Jesus making the call. Be thankful. I got a tough time being thankful. You guys have a tough time being thankful at times. 
you know, I'm thankful for the things that most people are thankful for. But are you thankful for the things that are a little bit more difficult to be thankful? It doesn't say, if it's good, be thankful. It says, and be thankful. It's a condition of your heart and your mind. Keep God's word in your heart at all times. Well, I just I have to be forgiving. Are you nuts? Do you know what that person said to me? Do you know what they did to me? We're not naturally forgiving, are we? Are you getting the picture about discipleship? Because it's really important that you understand going forward what we're talking about here. We're not talking about somebody who's just saved. We're talking about somebody who wants to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and be just like him as much as we possibly can. Live to be Christ's representative. Everything you do, every word, notice what it says, every deed, do all unto the name of Christ. You realize that as an employee, you represent Christ. As a voter, you represent Christ. As a citizen of this community, you represent Christ. When you're buying gas, represent Christ. When you go to Costco, you represent Christ, except when you're checking out. <laughs> Scenario of forgiveness, it's just automatic. It's like you pull out your $500, it's one cart. I'm just kidding. Trying to lighten the load a little bit. You get, you, you get the understanding? You know, understand what I'm saying? It's so important. Everything. Not one thing your Bible says is excluded. It either represents him or does not represent him. It's either good or it's not. It's either Christ-like or it's of the world. People like to think, well, there's this big gray area. Can I remind you that in God's opinion, there's almost no gray area? There's right and there's wrong. There's the thing that Jesus would do and say and the things he would not do and say. So if it's kind of off base a little bit, it's still in the wrong column. Now, we like to say, well, you know, it wasn't that far off. I only yelled at him for 25 minutes. That's kind of like Jesus saying, well, you almost made it into heaven. Nearly got there. You were that close. Discipleship. And it is in that view that we now move on to these these little stories. And it's so wonderful how the Lord does this. Notice what he says. Remember verse 24 as we brought ourselves to this passage. For I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste of my supper. So it's really clear he's talking about salvation first and then what happens after. And so he says, you know, even family can keep you from following the Lord at times. Anybody ever had that experience? I have. I've had my family tell me I was nuts for going into ministry. Literally. Look me right in the eyes and say, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. That's kind of powerful stuff when your parents say that to you, isn't it? You're doing what? You're get, uh-huh. At that point in time, you've got to love the Lord more than you do your mom and dad. You've got to do what God wants you to do. doesn't mean you hate them in the sense that we understand hate. It means that my Lord is more important than what my mommy says. There are an awful lot of people that are still glued to mommy and daddy. Well, Mama, you know. If God tells you to do something, do it. You got to step out in faith. Step out in faith. 
Not easy, but it is what we should do. And so he says, if any man come to me, he just said, and you don't hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brethren, all of these things. You can't really be to my disciple. Oh, you can be saved, but you're going to be very powerless in the kingdom. It doesn't matter whether you're in full-time ministry or not. It matters whether you're following hard after Christ. Not everybody is called to do what I do. But you're all called to be disciples. Every last one of you. Grow. Grow. The history of the church is, is filled with people with, that, with this type of devotion to the Lord Jesus. We have missionaries all over the world that have left the comforts of the U.S. of A. and they're scattered in faraway places doing what God's called them to do. It's about priorities. It's about joy. It's Jesus, others, and ourselves. And he says, you know, pick up your cross. I don't know about you, but when I think about the cross, I don't really want one, thanks a lot, but no. It's not the first thing on my mind when I get them. You know, I'm going to pick up my cross this morning. I'm more like, I'm going to pick up my coffee cup. Not thinking about picking up a cross, generally speaking. And yet we're supposed to? Why? Because we have died and we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. We serve Him. He calls the shots. So I pick up my cross. When Jesus went to Golgotha, it was the Romans that were hurting Him along the road. It was the Jews that put Him to trial. It was you and me that nailed him to the cross. He did not despise the cross, nor its shame, but instead took upon him the the sinlessness of God and took that and me and you and all of humanity to the cross and said, you know what, for them I'll die. That means everybody else is first and you're last. That don't fit our world's view very well, does it? Because it's supposed to be you first, and then if there's room for anybody else, and looking at Hollywood, Hollywood, there's no room for anybody else. It's just you, me, and pick up your cross. You see, they were heading to Jerusalem. And in heading to Jerusalem, what they were really saying was, I hope I don't have to die. I hope Jesus comes and takes care of the Romans. That's what they were thinking. They were not expecting to see their master on a cross. And yet that was the example that he gave them. This is how to finish it. We die. Notice the example he makes here, picking up in verse 28. And he's simply going to give them a couple of short stories on how to apply these things. And it becomes so simple when you see it this way. Because discipleship really is that simple. It's just that we don't like what it points to. It points to more of him and less of me. It points to death to me and being alive in him. Disciple has to be like a man preparing to build a construction project. Now, most of you know, been involved in in construction my entire adult life, even up until now. 
So this is this this I can tell you a lot about these things. Nobody goes to build a large construction project and does not sit down and first do a pro forma budget. What's this going to cost? You pencil out all the details. You look at some of the budgets that I've done for churches over the years. They're, they're 10, 15, 20 pages long with the things that we can think of. You know, what, what is it really actually going to cost to run video cabling through a 100,000 square foot facility? You'd be surprised what kind of numbers those are. And so Jesus in that way now goes on to say, for which of you intending to build a tower? That was a big deal then, a tower. To us, we're kind of thinking, ah, a tower, who cares? A tower, a pile of rocks. But in this case, what's being said here is a strong tower. The word that's translated here, tower, is a guard tower. It's something that looks over everything else that you're going to do and have and be and says, that's where my protection is going to come from. Helps to know that, doesn't it? Who of you setting to build something that's going to ultimately protect you would not count the cost? Does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, because you know what? That tower is going to do you no good if it doesn't get up above the surrounding territory to where it can't see out where the enemies are. If it does not help you do the purpose for which you intended to build it, Lest after he's laid the foundation and not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Now do you see how it applies to discipleship? Who among you getting saved and laying that initial foundation starts out in his life and says, hey, I think I'm just going to stop right here. And all of a sudden, the shame that comes upon the Lord is monumental. Those Christians who turn back to the vomit, who get right back into the relationship they got set free from, right back into the drugs that they were in, right back into the alcohol they were in, right back into the thievery and the multi-level marketing that they were engaged in that rips people off and all that stuff. And then what happens, the world comes by and says, that's a Christian? Are you kidding me? And they begin to mock Jesus. Discipleship 101. If what you do brings shame to the Lord because you cannot complete what you set out to do, then you know you need to change your tactics a little bit. You need to count the cost. Move a little more slowly. You don't want your life to become a mark of so-and-so's folly. It's a costly business following Jesus. It's going to cost you your life. It costs Jesus his, Amen. You give up your life, and he exchanges his glory for your wretchedness. You get his glory. This is going to cost you. Count the cost when you set out. You know, sometimes it's so wonderful seeing youthful zeal. It really is. But youthful zeal can put you in places that you shouldn't go because you didn't count the cost. I can tell you story after story after story of people, well, I've been called, into the, you know, they've been saved for a week. I've been called into the mission field. Now, sometimes that's true. Let me be very honest here. But very often, they haven't counted the cost. They haven't got a clue. They don't know what they're going to do. They have no idea. And they get to wherever they're going, and they turn right around and come back, and then they have to explain it to the church and the people that sent them and to everybody who asks, how come you're not still there? 
Count the cost. Just simply say, Lord, is this for me right now or is this something maybe you have later? Maybe I need to grow just a little. Maybe I need to be discipled a little bit longer. Notice here now the, the second a little vignette. Like a, a mighty monarch going to battle. I guarantee you Israel's had a plan for what they're doing right now in Gaza. They didn't just start, well, you know, let's just bomb something. They're strategically targeting Hamas rocket launching sites. They're putting missiles through windows. They're being very, think about, they have, they have launched over 1,200 attacks as of this morning, and there's only been 160 people that were killed. World War II, we used to lay level the entire cities just to make sure we got everybody, okay? Very calculated. Or what king going to make war against another king? Notice it's two kingdoms, amen? One king, another king. Lock that in. Does not first sit down and consider whether he's able with a 10,000 10, to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. He says, even if you've got a less superior force, if there's not the equal numbers, you better be sure that what you're doing is strong enough to fight the fight. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for peace. You see, Satan is your foe. That's the picture. Two kingdoms. Kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. Amen? Kingdom of this earth, kingdom of heaven. And he's saying, look, to be a disciple... You've got to choose which kingdom you're going to fight for. You've got to declare your allegiance. Especially during the Second World War. There was a lot of folks who put on the enemy's uniform. Changed sides. They were spies. It's interesting, a handful of things, especially with regard to the Germans being able to tell Americans that could simply speak German. You know how they did it? By the way they ate. Germans always turn their fork upside down and use a knife. Could put on a uniform, doesn't make you a soldier in the other army. So the Lord says to him, you know, this is what we can expect. It's going to be war at times. And he finishes all this off by saying, look, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple for salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how then shall it be seasoned? Amen? I want you to notice something. Salt is good. So get off my case about low-sodium diet. <laughs> Jesus said so. I just, want, I just want, you to sh- I want you to see how easy it is to misinterpret Scripture, okay? Salt is good. But if it's lost its flavor, then how shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land or for the dunghill, and men throw it out, and he who has ears, let him hear. What he's really saying is, is look, in that day and time, salt was a preservative. In, in that day, uh, it, it provided sterilization. It was used on babies. It would be rubbed with salt to sterilize them. It was a sign of friendship. If you brought salt, actually a Roman soldier was paid partly in salt. That's how valuable it was. 
So salt was a really, really good thing. But let me explain to you. They, they didn't go down to the store and get their nice little round thing of Morton's. Okay? And it was not pure. And in fact, most of the time, their salt was about 50% dirt. And so they would take a pinch of that dirt-salt mixture, and they would rub it in their hands. And at, because the dirt or the clay that was in the salt was finer, the clay would come out, the salt would stick in their fingertips, and the dirt would fall to the floor of their house. So the picture is this, that as we're rubbed in life, the clay comes out. Remember what you used to be, clay? And now you're salt and light. And so they would rub it, and the clay would come out, and all that would remain is the salt. But if there's only dirt left, you're just good to walk on. That's it. Not even good to be in a manure pile. I don't know about you, but I'm not really fond of not being good enough for a manure pile. Salt's a purifying agent. Salt flavors things. Salt makes others thirsty. And so this morning, when you trust Jesus, it's a little miracle that happens. You become clay, and then all of a sudden, you're salt. Able to do something for the Lord. Able to be used of God. The dirt's rubbed out. That's what it means to be a disciple. So don't forsake the rubbing that has to occur to get the salt prepared. And don't forsake the dirt that falls to the floor. That's where it's supposed to go. Because what you want is the salt and the light that's left. Amen? Discipleship. True discipleship. I pray that your salty saints this week, wise warriors this week, bountiful builders, and ultimately true disciples. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thanks for this morning and just your goodness to us, Lord, that you would allow us the privilege to come and to open up your word and to give us instruction from it lord just tells us how much you love us and pray that you would take these things that we've heard and lord use them for our growth lord help us to to live lord as one who's really following after you as best we possibly can lord help us to not get discouraged or put off we pray that you'd cause us to to do all that you've caused us to do with great vigor lord help us to Really search hard in our hearts for a way that we can serve you and bless others. We love you. We praise you. Help us to be true disciples. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.